Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Welcome to Tennis Channel Inside In. Mitch Michaels in the studio with a great show planned for you today. Road to Roland Garros continuing on. We're into Madrid. And I have a great guest with me on this show. Brett Haber joins us. 30 years in the game. Been at Tennis Channel since 2011. And I, th- I think I have this right. The youngest sports center anchor of all time was this guy across from me, Brett Haber. I don't know if, if there's proof of that. <laughs> And Tariko might have nipped <laughs> yeah, me yeah. on the on the young end, but I think it's so long ago for both of us that neither of us remembers or cares. So <laughs> I'll take it if it's true. I'll take it if it's false. What's up, Mitch? There's there's a lot of uh, you know a lot of legendary notes that I have here, and, and the Emmy count. I don't no, even know. Stop. Like I can't. Get, Nobody know, cares. <laughs> I can't get that high. But no, honestly, Brett, 2011, you started at Tennis Channel. Over a decade ago, not to date yourself there, but just from where you started to where we are now, both physically and literally in this new state-of-the-art Santa Monica studios, you've seen a lot. You've seen a lot of growth, some dark times now to arguably the most prosperous times. I don't even know if it's arguable anymore that we've seen here. Well, it's it's been since 2011 that I've more or less been full-time here or not really worked elsewhere. I, I think I did my first match for Tennis Channel the year that we went on the air, I did a, a DC match at the City Open. Yeah. It was the Leg Mason back then. I did a an Agassi Jill Muller match in year one. So I, I wow. someone I, Bob Wiley says I'm an OG at the network. So if he says that, then I I'll accept that moniker. But your point about the growth is uh, is well taken, and um, and I'm not sure how many, if people at home sort of are feeling the difference the way we are in the new facility in Santa Monica. Our old place was was nice. It was yeah. it, it was certainly nice enough. Um, in Culver City, but uh, if, if you think about where we came from, I mean, we didn't have a studio show when Tennis Channel went on there. Right. We, we called matches. We occasionally did sort of studio segments, updates from a standing up desk where I looked even shorter than Lindsay than I look in our <laughs> current situation. But uh, yeah, no, I think for those yeah. of us who've been here for a while, the appreciation for sort of this iteration, this, I mean, we, we feel legit. Yeah, I mean, this is a Absolutely. legit place. Absolutely. And with that, just the rights, I mean, having oh, every please. single match and just, you know, these tournaments especially, the thousands and the Masters events have a special feel to it. And to be able to, you know, from your case, to call them and to work on these events are pretty special. I did want to also note, too, just on a side note of the appreciation that, uh, you know, we have for the coverage here. Preparation is the key, and I know you've got hmm. as good <laughs> of preparation as anyone, you know, honestly, not to pump your tires too much, but... Your preparation is huge, and, and in calling a tennis match, and you know, you're doing this after calling two matches, that's four players to prepare for. That's a ton of uh, different outcomes and scenarios. What goes into preparing for a match and then ultimately being ready to maybe not get everything in the air that you prepared for? Yeah, no, that, that, well, that's the discipline, right? I mean, it's being prepared for whatever and then having the discipline to not use it unless it's relevant, yeah. and that's a skill that I think any play-by-play person will tell you is an ongoing challenge to yourself and one that I work on all the time. But 
if it were only four players that you were prepping for because of two matches, so for example, I just called the two men's quarters from the bottom half of the Madrid draw. Right, I'm looking uh, at the notes now. It's an yeah. impressive stack there. So it was a Bublik, Rude, and then Berrettini, Garin. Now, if that's all it ever was, it's actually easy to prep for four players. It's that when we go into a week one day at a major or at a Masters 1000, we could be bouncing to eight different TV courts, and you really have to be prepped for 20 to 30 players, men and women. So I, to answer your question, I do this because I feel a responsibility to uh, A, the viewers, and B, the people that I sit next to that played this game at the highest level. So if I'm going to sit in a booth next to Jim Courier or Martina Navratilova or Lindsay Davenport or Tracy Austin or whomever, these legends of our sport, I've got to, at the very least, be able to hold up my end of the conversation. And if the play-by-play's responsibility is who, what, where, when, and the color's responsibility is why and how, I've got to at least be able to engage them in a way that helps them do their best. So I'm, as you mentioned, I'm a freak for preparation. I keep a database of three or 400 players that I update every single day of the year. I spend, you know, even in a non-working day, I'm spending half an hour to an hour just updating my data. And I, I want to be prepared. That's it's a, that's a I probably probably could give myself a little more free time, but I I, I love doing it and I, it helps me uh, on a match day. You have that preparation and also the ability that very few have at a high enough level that comes with reps to capture when momentum's changing. Yeah, I uh, I think back to the Monte Carlo match you called with Jim Courier, uh, Nadal Rublev, where it was okay. You know, Nadal struggling on clay. This isn't just. This isn't just normal. Like, pay attention here. Something's happening. And, you know, I think that's the key of it as well. When I'm watching is I want to hear the broadcasters like yourself, like Jim, like Lindsay, everybody that uh, is involved capture when momentum changes and also just to be able to let the moment breathe and to let the moment kind of tell the story, I think, is one of the skills that you guys definitely have. Well, uh, thanks for saying that. And I I think it's two different things that you're describing. I think it's the identification of a moment is is key right i mean when when something i mean we're on all day and we're on all year so sensing and knowing when something uh momentous is happening uh is important and and on a day like today right when rafa lost on clay that that's anytime that happens yeah uh, that's noteworthy so Uh putting that in perspective understanding the moment and letting it breathe that's uh, again people who do this for a living understand the important this isn't radio it's not a podcast the pictures tell the story as much or more than we do. So I think one of the big mandates of Tennis Channel commentary is not over-talking. And our bosses, you know, reinforce that with us all the time, which is folks can see it. Our fans are informed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, augment what they're seeing, but don't be redundant and don't talk for the sake of talking. And I think that's a great, it's a great discipline. Well, the coverage is at an all-time high. It's a great time to be in the tennis world, too. Uh, The week that you're on the show, the timing is perfect. A lot's happened. Starting with a positive story, I wanted to just bring to your attention. I'm sure you know. But big week for tennis. Rafael Nadal and Naomi Osaka win the Laureus Awards for Sportsman of the Year. Not just tennis. They're the sports people of the year. And just goes to show you just two uh, impressive, put-together people, but just also the magnitude that having an impact in a sport like tennis can get you. So I, I think the Osaka choice was more obvious to me on this occasion than the Rafa choice, yeah. just because not only um, did she win majors, but uh, finding her voice the way that she did in uh, in New York last yeah. year with the masks and, and honoring the victims of, of the, the police killings the way she did 
for someone who was so shy when she won her first major to have literally and figuratively found her voice in such an important way is is so admirable and um yeah i think that's that's an obvious just to call rafa the sportsman of the year you can't quarrel with that right i mean no. he, he's his sportsmanship is is unimpeachable I've heard people and seen people on social media in the last 24 hours say, how could you give it to Rafa this year? He wasn't even the number one player in the world this year. Okay, fine. Um, he did equal Roger with number 20. Yeah. He did win Roland Garros for the 13th time. It, I guess it depends how much is that award handed out for, quote unquote, finger That's quotes true. here, sportsmanship, or yeah. is it about achievement within the line? So whatever, uh, deserving. Ra you get you want to give Rafa an award? I'm behind We're that. All for it, yeah. The sports, eight days a week. The sportsmanship side of it too. Yeah. It, it's it's subjective, but it's good to see those two honored for sure. Uh, looking at the women's uh, game right now in Madrid, we're on course for another showdown between Barty and Sabalenka. Just a note on Barty's first uh, as she got to the final on a nine match win streak after the Bedosha win. Seventeen and one, Brett, in her last eighteen. Seven top ten wins, nine against the top fifteen. The numbers Crazy. just speak for themselves, but. Of all the numbers that stand out to me, the one that I just kept glued to, 8-0 and three setters. Yeah. So she's getting pushed, and she's still finding a way to win every single time. And and I think the thing with Ash Barty is, and, and by the way, talk about sportsmanship. She could win that award It's incredible also. how humble she is. She's, she's yeah. how do you not like <laughs> yeah. Ash? I can't imagine there's anybody out there that doesn't like Ash yeah. Barty, including the people whose ass she's kicking. <laughs> yeah. But to me... It's that she basically took a year off, or the better part of a year off, and I think there were questions about what the rust level would be when she came back. For those who didn't follow it, right, because of the the complications with COVID travel, especially for uh, Australia, she didn't play after Doha last year, so she basically had ten months off. She was separated from Craig Tizer because of the the, the intrastate limitations on travel within Australia. So her training was screwed up. She um, you know, she admitted that she was just home a lot, enjoying time with family. So, you, I mean, I don't care how good you are 10 months off from match play. Yeah. I think there are going to be some questions. And all she does is show up this year, <laughs> win the Yara Valley. Quarters in Australia, I know that was a disappointing uh, loss to Mukova. She avenged that this week, wins Miami, wins Stuttgart, and now is in the final in Madrid. Give me a break. Her attitude is just exactly what you want in a pro athlete. Oh, like how God. she the oh, how she says we all the time in her answers. Mm -hmm. Like she's part of the team oh, and yeah. has never gotten a big head on her shoulders. Um, but I just love watching her, especially on clay, her problem solving out there. Because a lot of those three set matches, she's losing the first set. Yep. She's finding herself in a hole. Her game and calling her matches. Do you think that but I'll ask you this question. Do you think that she's just causing fits for these players with her style? Is it mm -hmm. the slices? Is it just the pace that she brings? What do you think is the big problem players have against her? I don't know that it's pace because yeah. I, I don't think she's close to the uh -huh. biggest hitter out there. I, I meant think, more of like um, playing kind of quick. Like oh, I see comes, what you're saying. You know, okay. Yeah. Um, I think that, and again, a lot of my opinions are mm -hmm. formed from just watching and then mm -hmm. listening to, to my partners. And I've called Ash's yeah. match this week with yeah. Lindsay Davenport and listening to Lindsay sort of react in real time to the degree to which Ash's slice is upsetting her opponents, A, because it's so good, it's so knifing, it's so devastating, it stays so yeah. low, but also because, it, I'm using my movie trailer voice here, in a world <laughs> where yeah. <laughs> every, yeah. so much in tennis can be homogenous, can be she's the different. same, yeah. she's different, yeah. right? And so... Not only is the slice empirically good 
and devastating and damaging. It's so different from a visual standpoint to what players are used to and the, the spin that they have to generate to undo the slice, to lift it up over the net in response for all these reasons and the fact that she's likable and humble and a wee person. I, I also think she, you know, it was a big storyline earlier in her career that she stepped away and she played cricket and she was homesick and she was... I feel like now that all these things are happening to her because she saw what life was like without it, it's like she's uber prepared to handle it this time around. And the attention, the winning, the travel, right? She, she, she may not be back to Australia for 10 months now. It just, it's like everything has aligned and Ash Barty is perfectly positioned to, to do what she's doing. It's crazy. It wasn't that long ago when we thought, how is she still number one? She's right. not playing. And those questions are all gone now. Yep. In addition to just being good at every sport she does, apparently. <laughs> Have like, you seen her golf swing? It's amazing. Like, and she said, yeah, I just kind of picked it up. It's <laughs> she did say that during yeah. the pandemic, when she was stuck in Australia, yeah. that she cut her handicap from a 10 to a five. So that even more annoying <laughs> so that annoying. she's that good at that too. Yeah. That's the, those are the people that don't like Ash Barty, the really good golfers That's probably. Uh, she gets Sabalenka in the final who... I mean, you were calling her matches 10 sets won, 18 games lost Crazy. in this run. And uh, the power, the power when it's harnessed, I'll say, because she's a streaky player, which we'll get to yep. in a second. Mm -hmm. But when she's harnessing the power, she's playing fast, she's playing downhill, and it gets away from her opponents very fast. Uh, this run that she's on, as good as she's played, nine titles in her career, might be the most impressive stretch on clay of all surfaces. Uh, I agree. And um, it's, it's always interesting to watch a player who has these you know, the power's not new to Sabalanka, right? But I think the word you used was harnessed. And I, I was thinking about comments that uh, Tursunov made when he was coaching her that, you know, she's not just a ball basher. She is more thoughtful than that. And it just seems that for, for whatever reason, whether it's Anton Dubrov or herself, or I think, uh, and I was talking about this with Lindsay on the air the other day, it, she's one of those players that has really gotten stronger and fitter and I think there's a straight line to be drawn from that to her ability slash willingness to sustain in these longer points and not take undue risk and not go for winners earlier in the rally. And I think I think there, there's a, a direct correlation to between that and her success because it seems like, to me, just from my eye, she is making better decisions. She is identifying the difference between a red light moment and a green light moment much better than she did in the past and the proof's in the pudding, right? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I was going to ask, do you think that the youth and the fact that she maybe is gaining in maturity is the reason why she hasn't had that big result in the major yet, that it's only a matter of time before she gets to the quarterfinals and beyond? I mean, I... It's kind I, of a crazy thing that it hasn't happened yet. Well, yeah, but yeah. your point, yeah. uh, which is well taken, is that she, she turned 23 this <laughs> week, 23 still. It's nuts. And she's already won nine titles, right? So if she pulls this off tomorrow, that's 10 you know, we, we looked this up the other day because when she was playing Pavlyuchenkova, who doesn't get enough credit, by the way, for being a really consistent customer right. for a really long time, she's one of the women, Pavlyuchenkova, who has double-digit titles. You know how many active WTA Oof. players have 10 or more titles? Not many. 14. Five, 14. 14 do. And wow. By the way, that counts Zvonareva as active. Okay. It counts Kleisters as active, which I think we're still doing. Yeah. Um, that's still not that many. And no, no that's insane. my point. Savalenko would crash that list at twenty-three. Yeah. So I, wow. so it, you could say, why hasn't she made a run at a major? And the other thing you could say is, my God, she just turned twenty-three. She did make a round of sixteen in Australia this year, and yes, I think it is your words a matter of time. It's got she's going to be a threat on you would think multiple surfaces. 
Yeah, she mixes in the slice a lot. We've seen that too. And like you said, not being able to just go for a winner early and having the patience to wear down an opponent. 0-2 though against Barty this year. Mm-hmm. Both were three set matches at Miami at Stuttgart in the final there. Part of me wonders if this stylistically is just a tough matchup for Sabalenka. It's everybody. It's tough playing Barty. But there's those dips in these matches where mm-hmm. Sabalenka is right with her. But for like 10, 15 minutes stretch, she just can't maintain the level. And I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm anticipating a close matchup. But to play Barty, you can't have that dip or it'll just be over. So I will again quote, uh, as opposed to giving you my own opinion, because uh, I asked Jim this question during the uh, men's quarter that we just called. We were doing a promo for tomorrow's final. I said, who do you like? And he said, um, he said 51-49 Barty. Um, but I think his caveat was that if Sabalenka is locked and having one of those days where she's just bone crushing the ball yeah. and not slipping into one of those walkabouts, mm-hmm. to use an Aussie expression, then she can take the racket out of everybody's hands. Yeah. But if she does have sort of a, a fuzzy patch, then, you know, Barty could... Um, yeah. I, I would I, I like Jim's analysis on that. The crazy thing about that too is that Sabalenka is so used to getting up early and running away. Barty's that one player mm-hmm. that if she's down a set, it's not the end of the world. She's gonna more than any player that we've seen on tour, men or women, I think this year, is battling back and winning at an amazing clip. So it's not gonna be just a set and a break against Ash Barty doesn't really phase her. In a no, I, I mean I would be surprised if the match were straightforward. I mean I think it's more likely to be a straightforward match if if Barty gets out to an early lead. Yeah, I, I think that's sure. the point you're making. Uh, but no, she's not out. I mean, at some point, I, I wonder what Barty's gas tank is, is like. I mean, she's another player who's gotten extraordinarily fit, but she's, you know, that's the byproduct of of winning a lot is that you you play a lot. And um, uh, can I suggest that you tune in on uh, on Saturday for the women's final? Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Brett Haver on Tennis Channel Inside In. Very good suggestion. We definitely need to uh, be watching this match uh, start to finish. Another note on the women's game. I want to hear your opinions on Naomi Osaka's clay court journey, trying to crack that code. And it's a code that essentially a lot of great players, men and women, have tried. Clay seems to be, for a lot of players, that final surface to reach that all-elite status. One and one in Madrid. Lost to a very good player, Mukova, in three sets. Wasn't her best match, she admitted as such, Brett, but also she seems and is acting very committed to this surface. She's already in Rome. She's already training. She's looking to make make her headway at Roland Garros. You think a breakthrough is coming for her? Huh. I don't know. So on one level, it's hard to bet against her. I mean, she's been the dominant hardcore player on the women's side the way that Djokovic is the undisputed dominant hardcore player on the, on the men's side, but... Um, we've also seen some really good hardcore players like Medvedev on the men's side not able to figure out the clay. And I feel like Osaka is sort of at that point of her career for the moment. She's too good to not figure it out, one would think. Um, does she have the time to sort of figure out the movement on clay the way someone who's more accustomed to it uh, has figured out? I, I don't know if that's going to happen right away, but... I mean, I don't know. That's such a nuanced question. Yeah. I, I think it has a lot to... What I do know is that she, she seems to be in a very good place. 
Um, she has the right team around her. I think uh, the addition of Yutaka Nakamura out of Sharapova's yeah. camp for fitness and movement is going to give her every possible chance to get herself uh, in, in the physical place to handle the clay. And then I think it's just a question of reps and years and, you know, tries. And, um, yeah, I think it'll, it'll come eventually. Still super young, and you don't want to use the term house money, but for how dominant you said she was no. on hardcore, if it happens on grass or clay, then we're changing the discussion to just not, where is her among the all-time ranks? Because but, that's, I mean, if, if that happens... Forget it. Yeah. No, I'm, it's true. And the only thing I would say is your point is a good one, which is it, it's often the last surface that players pick up. And uh, I mentioned Nakamura, who was in the Sharapova camp. We all remember, and I'm not going to go uh, cow on ice, <laughs> yeah. but it was the last surface that she yeah. figured out, and it ended up being the twice, only major yeah. she won twice. Yeah. So I think that you know there's time for Osaka to get comfortable with the nuances of the movement on clay. And, and again, she, she too is, is still only 23, yeah. we forget because she's had so much success in the last three or four years. But yeah, no, I think it, it'll be there. Whether it's this year, I that may be too much of a of a leap to guarantee, but it for, for sure, for sure, she'll have success on clay. Another great storyline to watch as we go into uh, RG. Not No shortage of that. I yeah. mean, that's for sure. Men's side, we got to talk about today's action. Uh, day of some upsets. Rafa, the biggest one, loses on clay in straight sets to Alexander Zverev, who... I didn't realize it until, you, until it was brought up on our airwaves, but three straight wins for Sasha over Rafa. Yeah, and uh, there's a f- couple of them were a couple of years ago, so yeah. I don't know how much to bring into that, but there, there aren't that many guys, period, who've beaten no. Rafa three times, let alone once on clay. And uh, Steve brought up the point in one of the uh, studio updates that he now joins a very elite club of guys who've beaten Rafa on clay, Novak on hard, and Roger on grass. Yeah. And it's only two or three guys who've ever oh. done that. But... I don't know. I, I tend not to get alarmed because I feel like we go through this rhythm every year yeah. because Rafa doesn't, he's going to lose somewhere. I mean, I, I know there were years where he swept the whole lead up to, to Roland Garros, but in general, yeah. at least the last bunch of years, he's lost somewhere. Um, and everybody, it's the same drill, right? Every year. Oh my God, does this mean he's not the yeah. favorite at Roland Garros? Yeah. And one day he will not be the favorite at Roland Garros. It's not this year, no, right? No. Because I still think Barcelona solve that. I think if he had lost in Monte Carlo and then lost early in Barcelona and then lost this, there'd be more questions. I think as long as Roland Garros is best of five, that is right. right, That's still the hardest. I believe others have said it. I think it's true. I think it's the hardest thing in sports. Rafa clay, best of five. It's happened twice. What is he? One twenty-five and two. (laughs) Yeah. Something absurd. Uh, Until somebody does it. And I know it's Djokovic and Soderling. Someone in this younger generation is going to be the first to do it. And that person is going to have all the focus in the world on him as the heir apparent, right? And it it may be it's team and maybe it's Verev and maybe it's rude and maybe Mm -hmm. it's somebody else, but it's going to, but no, I mean, am I wrong? Is he's, he's still the favorite to win. Absolutely still still the favorite. And the other, I mean, I agree with all that. The other point to bring up is that he's so good at rounding into form. Yep that best of five plays a big part in it, but we know that you're going to get the best version mm-hmm. of Rafa those weeks. And you know, it's going to happen in Paris. And I think part of it is knowing that like what, this is his worst surface of the lead up. And he's won it four or five times. Exactly. So we, we said the other day, <laughs> terrible, he's right? only won Madrid five times yeah. only. Yeah. And whether that's the altitude or, or the, the, yeah. the, the, the more slippery clay, whatever, if your worst event is the one that you've won five times, yeah, I guess when you've won other things 13 times, five <laughs> is modest. 
but yeah, that's, I mean, Rome will be a good mm-hmm. bellwether, right? Of, of where he is. That's closer to the, the slow pace. But look, even last year, right? Everybody said playing Roland Garros in the fall with the cooler conditions, which are going to mute his spin. He's not going to win it in the fall. <laughs> yeah. And drop a set, man. And then Djokovic just beat him thoroughly down in the final. It was, it was insane. I will say though, that the win meant a lot to Zverev. Like that was a win he needed, not just beating Rafa on clay, an unbelievable accomplishment, yeah. but coming into this tournament, coming off of the last three, four tournaments that he's been in, the results haven't been there. Dating back to Miami where he was bounced early and now switching to clay, the, the dust up at Munich when he played in mm-hmm. his home country. So this was big for him. For all the ups and downs and the drama on his serve and the inconsistencies, what you saw today is that when he turns it on, his A-level apex is very, very elite and among the game's best. Yeah, I think there's no there's no doubt about that. And Acapulco was was still obviously a bright spot for him on a hard court this year. But he's, look, I, I, um, off the court and on, mm-hmm. and we'll just leave it there because yeah. I, I don't want this mm-hmm. to be about that or keep it yeah. about 10. It's been a weird uh, year uh-huh. and, and one that has seen um, him be distracted and camp issues and legal issues and service issues and all of that jazz. And today was, I would imagine if you're a Zverev fan or part of his camp, an affirmation that he's still able to bring it on a big stage against, you know, the best guy in the world on that surface. So I, he's, his talent is undisputable. I, I, the serve thing is weird, right? I mean, bizarre because he can still crank clutch aces and and well, his first his first serve is a monster. Yeah, I think he had the fastest average for a serve speed on yeah, tour last year, uh-huh. one thirty one or something. Jim made a point with Hawkeye this week that because I've asked him a couple times over the last two years. I think we had a match in Cincinnati two years ago where Zverev double faulted twenty times in a match. Okay. I, I like to ask yeah. Jim. I said, "Is it so? Is it technical with him or is it mental?" And up until this week, Jim has always said to me, I think it's mental. I think it's above the neck with him because his first serve is too good and it it doesn't. But Jim said he had something this week with Hawkeye where he showed Zverev's second serve toss being uh, being too far into the court. Right. And that it was six inches farther into the court, closer to the net is what I'm saying, than whoever it was he was playing. And he said that as a result of that, he's not getting... He's getting more speed on his yeah. second serve, but not getting enough spin and margin, and that he thinks that's leading to the double fault. So he, he so now Jim is kind of moving towards it might be technical, and so I wonder if that's the case. Can right. can that be fixed? Um, the, I, I guess that the second serve is an issue. The forehand still breaks down a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's not the greatest volleyer in the world, which is ironic because his brother is a really <laughs> good volleyer. But if you look at all those things that have room for improvement and say He's, with all that, he's still six in the world, and he's still beating Rafa on clay, and he's still contending for bit. Well, that's uh, that's a nice problem to have. Do you put him in the mix? I know Rafa, clearly the favorite. Djokovic is Novak Djokovic. He's always going to be at the top. Do you put him in that next mix with maybe the Sitsipas team, depending on his health, that Zverev is in that RG mix? Um, or maybe and, still need more to see? Well, I mean, he was a game away from winning the U.S. Open, right? Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, I don't know if he's in the – as – Look, he's won Masters 1000 titles on multiple surfaces. He's won it on fast clay, slow clay, hard court in, in Canada. Yeah. I, I would probably say that Rafa team are still 1-2, right? Who's next after that? Is it – I mean, Rude is starting to be in that He's up there. I think Sitsipas, and that's where I might put – team, I agree, if 
if he's healthy. And right. I want to see him play right. through this weekend, play through Rome. The fitness level, we had never really seen. He was the guy that you had to drag off the court. Yep. And this was the first time he had some real injuries. There's been some, you know, mental, you know, stuff he's dealt yep. with. But I, if he's locked in, he's right behind Rafa Novak. He's right on par with him. Uh, but Tsitsipas seems like the guy. I know he lost to Casper Ruud. I think that match said more about Casper Ruud totally. than it did totally. I don't think that's a bad yeah, loss no. on Clay. And obviously Tsitsipas has been doing a lot of winning, including Monte Carlo. Mm-hmm. So you can't really question his Clay credentials. He seems more buttoned up to me than he's yeah. ever been right now at this moment. So, yeah, he's the, I mean, Monte Carlo title and then championship points in the final of Barcelona against Rafa. That's a pretty good clay season just right there. It's very good. Uh, one guy that's not in this mix, I think we'd agree, is Daniil Medvedev. Love <laughs> aff- I was going to say love affair with clay court tennis, but it's not. there's not much love going on. Uh, yeah, but I, you know what? I appreciate yeah. the honesty, though. That's exactly yeah. what I was going to say is you got to love a guy who's self-aware, yeah. right? And he goes, he said, I, he lost to uh, Garin, yeah. right? And then someone asked him about it. He's, oh, you're three in the world. You lost to Garin. He goes, beating me on clay isn't that much of an achievement. He was laughing at the seating, how he he didn't get to play Monte Carlo because of the COVID issue. But he's like, I'm, I'm seated ahead of Rafa. This is ridiculous. Like, you know. He, look, yeah. um I'm a Medvedev fan, right? Of I mean, course. I think ever since of that course. U.S. Open, yeah. right? He he was playing the, as they say in wrestling, the heel. Um, he's he's super self aware. He's very funny, and uh, he's so his his tennis is so counterintuitive to the way his body's built. It's like six six one eighty five, I think. He kind of whips around. He hits those shots where he's not even looking at the net sometimes. And but he's you're not right. You're not yeah. supposed to be built like that and no. defend like that. No. But he, he, you know, it's, we're talking about that with the Russians, like Rublev, how he hits, how he can just stand firmly on the baseline and just take a full cut. I mean, it's they've reversed engineered how to play the he's, game. He's he's sick. He's a Rublev sick. Uh, and then of course today we got team beating Isner. I just want to a note on that. Isner had a nice run in this tournament, mm-hmm. some impressive wins. The match that he had against Rublev, I don't think I'd have to go back in my memory banks. To remember two more clutch serves than the five four, <laughs> like Novak Djokovic, Andre Agassi aren't returning the serves he had in that match. Um, well, it, it, it's so interesting because so first of all, John has said that, and this is surprising that, and I think he meant all surfaces. He said that that second court, that Arancha Sanchez court in Madrid, is his favorite serving heard that, stadium yeah. in the world, and he said it has to do with that it, it feels indoors because it's surrounded, it has the roof even when the roof is open, and that it makes a sound that just resonates with him, uh-huh. that feeds back to him in a way that, that makes him feel good about his serve. Um, yeah, that's a clutch serve at, uh, what was the score in the tiebreak when he hit that serve? Was that the 5-4? Five, five, yeah. It goes chalk in the ad court, and then he goes T for the win. Yeah. And there's no one in the history of the world that I think returns those. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, but although I actually think that the one that got him to, it was the four-all return, oh, right? Yeah. Ran around and just all or nothing, as Courier said. We, we, yeah, we were talking about, in the other match that, so he won 13 fewer points in that match <laughs> and he didn't have a break point and he still won. And he, he said in his press that, he, you know, I wasn't the better player in that match, but I won it. And I, I think John is so accustomed to playing matches like that with the tiniest margins where it comes down to putting one return in the court that he doesn't need to be the best player for the balance of the match. He needs to be the, he needs to be a good returner for one return yeah, and get a mini break and serve out a tie break. Here are the numbers. You ready? That yeah. was the, 110th deciding set tiebreak that he's played in his career. And that was the 10th time that he's won a match without holding a break point. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's, I mean, only him, right? Only like, him. Like there's, 
it's incredible to do it on clay against some good players as well. Uh, Batista Goop before that, which had the the weirdest tiebreak I can remember in a third set as well. That was weird, <laughs> but it was also nice that John was able to pay him back for Miami. Who would have thought yeah. John would lose a match in Miami against Bautista Gut after holding match point, but win a match in Madrid <laughs> against Bautista Gut after saving match point? Be quite the odds if you would have predicted that ahead of time. A um, couple more things with Brett Haver uh, on the on Tennis Channel Inside In. That other semifinal, so we got team facing Zverev, a rivalry that we know all too well. Mm-hmm. It's going to be Casper Rude versus Matteo Berrettini. Yeah. Rude winning over Bublik today in straight sets. Berrettini winning the last 11 games of his <laughs> match versus Christian Garin to win that in three sets. Opportunities galore for these two, especially the bottom side of the uh, draw. Casper Rude in his third straight. Masters 1000 semi on clay. Like I, I, I did a double take when I saw that. Yeah. Jim has been really bullish on rude on clay. And, uh, I think as most people know now he's got not Rafa, not team, but Casper rude has the spinniest forehand in men's tennis right now. And I think, uh, you know, the huge correlation between that and his success on the surface, but he just seems like he's a very buttoned up kid. He's very even tempered. When things go wrong, he doesn't get negative. And you're right, between Rome out of order last year and then Monte Carlo, uh, where he beat Schwartzman and Carreño Busta and Fonini, who was the defending champion, and now this week with the Sitsi Pazzo. By the way, Felix Ojeali has seen you beat him one and four. Just, yeah. That's quality. And then Bublik today is, I I could watch that. I am I'm, I'm so in the bag for Sasha Bublik. I can't stop. I can't great. look away. He's great. Um and I think the comment was he thought his double shot was the greatest in all eternity, exactly. which is just phenomenal to say. Casper Ruud, your forehand, I'm glad you brought that point up. He idolized Nadal. You could tell he modeled his game. and He's at the academy He's at the academy for sure. I love the breakthrough. I love the fact that you know it took him a couple years to get to this point. He was mm-hmm. hovering around that 60 ranking in the 50s, and he got here. Matteo Berrettini, for how tall he is, for the serve, for the forehand, the running forehand especially, no one would really make the correlation with Clay, but here he is now having won in Belgrade, beating Karatsev in the final, and now in the semis of a Masters 1000 on Clay, maybe this is his surface or one of them. Three of his four titles are on Clay, the other one's on grass, and I think this this goes to some of the Isner theory on Clay, which is he's going to hold serve on the moon. Yeah. So maybe the Clay gives him a little more time to produce some of his shots to get a look at a return. And I don't think there's any reason anymore why guys who are power brokers can't succeed on this surface. I think, you know, maybe, although he did, uh, didn't he do well at Shanghai, which is a really fast uh, court, but I think that, that he can be a clay player, obviously beating, uh, beating Garin, who, who's an outstanding mm-hmm. clay, although Garin kind of got mental in this match. That was, yeah, it was 3-1 in that too. Um, yep. And Berrettini had like a moment of like upset about a call where you yep. thought he might tank and then suddenly it goes the other way. Are you solid? I mean, we saw it, his hello world moment of that match against Monfils at the U.S. Open where it's like this kid's this kid's in it five sets in shape. And you know, it's an opportunity. One of these guys is going to be in the final against Team Zverev who know each other all too well, as I said, and uh, on clay again. First time that they've played, I think, since the uh, U.S. Open match, which... No one will ever forget. No one will ever forget how that went down. I know as matches you've called, 
had to be right up there for one of the most wild and uh, interesting ones. It was wild. Um, by the way, if Berrettini gets to a moment again like he had against Monfils, I thought he, that was a couple of years ago now. I think yeah. if you look back at that match, he got pretty tight with a lead in the fifth set. I think his serve, his second serve started to yeah. falter. He got very conservative. And so um, I'd be curious to see if he, if he got into a big moment like that in a major again, if he was a little better equipped to handle the occasion. As for the U.S. Open rematch um yeah i remember it well it, it wasn't i wouldn't say highest quality yeah that's be, the, we can be fair there and that, and listen what, what do i know i've never played in a grand slam yeah. final i don't know uh -huh. what that what's coursing through your veins yeah. in that moment what i do know is that until zverev wins one that's scar tissue that's going to be there and I, he's made jokes about it and i think that's he's deflecting but uh, fans will recall two sets to love break in the third and then five, three in the fifth. Um, yeah, he needs to put that away, right? Six all on the tie break too. Yeah. I saved that match point with a serve at like 60 some miles an hour. Should be a fun one. I'm excited to see these guys play a lot to prove still. Who, who's the favorite? Who's the favorite in that match tomorrow? Who's the favorite? I would say the favorite has to be, I, I'm going to go Zverev me coming too. off a of beat. Me Nadal. too. I, yeah, I wouldn't. Have, it's crazy to say that out loud, but I, that's yep. what I believe. You know? I, I think it has to do with what you mentioned earlier, yeah. which is that team is still yeah. on a comeback trail. Yeah, he's had time away. He seemed uh, slight favorite, not not outrageous, but yeah, it's got to be Zverev there. Brett Haber, Tennis Channel Insight, and a couple of things before we wrap this up. I wanted to bring up the the news of the day that is away from the the court, the action in Madrid. And that's the uh, Kennan breakup with yeah. her father uh, as coach. I think also this week we had a couple. We had Caroline Garcia break mm -hmm. up with her dad as well. And I bring this up, you know, A, it's topical. But B, looking at this, it was never going to be, you know, it's never going to be an easy breakup when you yeah. break up with a parent. But I keep going back to the fact that coaches and individual sports and team sports get changed. There's a lot of, uh, you know, parody and, and, and such at the top that this wasn't a complete shock. I think it was probably a tough decision for Sophia Kennan, but one breath I think ultimately is, is going to be in the best interest for her in her long-term game. So this is one of those where I want to tread really yeah. carefully because you and neither you nor I knows the real behind-the-curtain details of what was going on because at, at, the, at the core of it all, it's a father-daughter mm -hmm. thing. And... You don't break up with your parents generally as parents, but they're breaking up as coaches uh, and player. What the true genesis of the split is, uh, I don't think we know unless we're really on the inside of their camp and I'm not going to contribute to yeah. whatever the rumor mongering is, but suffice to say it is fraught with complications. It's a, it's a thing that we've seen in this sport for decades that the blurring yeah. of the lines between parent and coach is is complicated. It's not necessarily wrong, and it can be extremely constructive. Yeah, Caroline Wozniacki and her father seemed to me, from the outside, extremely constructive. Christian Rude and Casper Rude seemed to me extremely constructive. Uh, what the dynamic of the relationship between Sonia Cannon and her father is, and why they're splitting. Uh, is a matter for them to reveal if they want to. I, I will just say if it makes Sophia uh, more content, happier, if it makes her feel safer in her world, then it's hard not to support that. She has been through a lot of changes. I, I, every player that wins yeah. a Grand Slam title goes through 
uh, changes and a different level of attention. And I just hope that she's, I wish as a parent, I hope that she's happy and fulfilled and safe and that her personal life in her family is what it needs to be. And that that leads to her tennis being what it needs to be because we can mess with it beyond that. And I'm just, I I just don't know, but I, it it seems like it was very fraught. It seems like it was borderline making her unhappy. And uh, if this move makes her happier then I, obviously everyone supports it. It's a rough year for her, especially with the appendectomy situation too. So definitely wish her the best. The the only thing I'll say is like, did, did you happen to see when she lost early in Australia, Right before the appendectomy, she played that, uh, whatever that event was called on the outer courts in the second week of Australia. She looked about as disinterested in playing tennis as any person I've ever seen. Didn't want to be there, wanted to go home. This is, again, this is me. The same in Stuttgart when she lost to uh, Contivate. She didn't have that same stalking energy that we grew accustomed to. I I liken it to in the Muguruza match in the final that she won. A lot of players, when they stalk around the court, angry, upset, mm-hmm. it goes the other way. She actually plays better when she's in that mindset. And I just didn't see that in the last couple tournaments. Again, not going to really speculate on why no, that may no, be. No, it's not. I, it's no point yeah. in it. And I just, yeah. listen, she's a killer competitor. Absolutely. She is really fun to watch when she's yeah. locked. That Australia was one of the most enjoyable surprises that I can remember. Be, be well, yeah. be healthy, be yeah. happy. Get. I uh, hope her, her personal life yeah. is in order that her family is is in the right place yeah. and that she resumes playing the kind of tennis she likes to play. Super young and a Grand Slam champion. They they got to that um, <laughs> top, and uh, it's very hard to do for sure. What a run for her at that Australian Open. Well, Brett, last thing before I let you go, this has been a blast. I can't let you go without bringing up something I know that's very special to you because oh, we are going to have it again, hosting the Hall of Fame oh, man. ceremony at Newport, Rhode Island, the International Tennis Hall of Fame. Since I believe 2014, you've been the master of ceremonies, and I am excited that we're going to get to have kind of like a, a ceremony for last year's class that didn't get to have it. Hewitt was inducted, but we'll get to him in the next year. But, Brett, just if you could talk about what that means to you and the importance of an event that's really recognizing the all-time greats the sports produced. Yeah, no, it's 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 one of the great honors uh, of my uh, life and career to be able to do that every year, and I will say that it's, it's doubly humbling to me that I was able to take the baton from Bud Collins uh, before he passed, but when he was starting to get uh, unable to, to continue it. And before I was the MC of the enshrinement ceremony, um, for many years, I, I was part of the weekend and did the uh, Saturday night uh, champions dinner and, and watched Bud do that. No one is the MC of this sport and no one ever will be the way Bud was, but to be in New England, which was his home, uh, and to be at the Hall of Fame where he was a member and, and to be part of this thing, which is the highest honor in the sport, is is deeply important to me. And uh, if you've never been to Newport, just just on, you know, <laughs> on a human level, A, it's a great place to go visit yeah. in July. Uh, the harbor, everything about the world there. And then if you're a tennis fan, it's just a bucket list destination to um, sort of encircle yourself in the history of the sport. It is a museum. It has something like 25,000 objects and artifacts and videos and images and costumes and, and holograms. And, and, uh, you could lose yourself in the museum. It's a great place to go. I urge people who've not been to the hall of fame museum or to the enshrinement weekend to go. And, uh, yeah, we did hear that Leighton Hewitt's not going to be able to travel from Australia this year, but, um, it's, it's incredibly special. It is global. It is the international tennis hall of fame. It's not just the American 
tennis hall of fame and um yeah it's a goosebumpy place to be and a thing to watch absolutely i, I just every year watching the speeches and watching just what it means to these players to yep. get recognized and be a part of history forever um, it, it's always special moment it's always special to see and i'm glad we're getting to do it again this year with the tennis tournament and uh honoring the game is great to i'll close with this yeah. uh to quote sasha bublik I wish every tournament was played in Newport. <laughs> I know that, see, I knew that's why you were, he was your favorite player. Like now it's like there's nothing you could do to not be one of your favorite players. Honestly, yeah. how do you not like a guy who hits 140 mile an hour seconds yeah. or unnecessary tweener around the net post on a high lie scoop, drop yeah. it off. And he's, he's fun. Yeah, he's, he's great. Well, Brett Haber, a blast chatting with you. Again, great work with mm. everything and getting us through not just this, but the pandemic, you know, we didn't stop and, uh, covering the exhibitions i know you were honing your chops with calling some street tennis in the park i saw so good to see the a-level game still here and a privilege to talk to you here no no it's my it's my pleasure let's do it again and uh can i just say that that's one of the things i'm really proud of also is that last year when uh the world was haywire and sports got shut down uh tennis channel never turned the lights off nope and we did tc live three hours a day during the pandemic our people invented content to talk about. Then the exhibition started. And I think the one thing that we're uh, taking an immense amount of pride in is the fact that we feel like we carry the flag for this sport 24-7, 365. And that includes a global pandemic. And uh, being part of that last year was unexpectedly uh, an immense source of pride for me. It was great. Brett, thanks again. Best of luck going forward, especially with the finals this weekend. It never stops. It's going to be some great tennis. But, Brett Haber, thanks for joining the show. Giddy up. I'll see you tomorrow. Tennis Channel Inside In with Brett Haber. That's going to do it for today's show. Thanks to everybody out there for listening. More episodes coming in the weeks to follow. we got Rome next week. As the road to Roland Garros rolls along, go to tennis.com slash podcast for every episode in the series. For Brett Haber, I'm Mitch Michaels. This was Tennis Channel Inside In. We'll see you next week.